0: Our call to confession this morning comes from Romans chapter 12, uh, verses one and two. There we read, "I appeal to you, brothers, uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we look at Paul's letter uh, to the churches at Rome, it's, it's structured like many of his letters. Uh, there is a, a large section or a, or a section of gospel theology, and then Paul makes a shift later in the letter to bring that theology to bear on the lives of the individuals to whom he's writing. Uh, it's gospel application, and it's no different here in the, the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters, Paul's focus is squarely on gospel theology, unpacking the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in... Chapters 12 through 16, he makes this, this marked transition to, to consider how that truth impacts the way that we live. And so Paul introduces that, that application section of 12 through 16 with these two verses here. Uh, a call on us as believers to offer up to God our lives, all of our lives, in, in worship and in holy living. Uh, but that call isn't ungrounded, right? It's, it, it's, not, it's not kind of untethered. Uh, Paul grounds it firmly in what he calls the mercies of God. Uh, now figuring out what the mercies of God is, uh, is or are, is, are, was, is not difficult. Uh, the mercies of God are the first 11 chapters, right? The mercies of God are what God the Father has done through Christ Jesus to redeem sinful humanity. God has come to us, and he has rescued us, he has redeemed us, not because of our own inherent righteousness, not because of our own good works, not because of our potential, but he came and he rescued us and redeemed us because of his purposes and plans fulfilled through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel. And so Paul says, in light of the gospel, this is how you ought to live. Now, there's an order there, right? There's an order there. It's it's first this knowledge of, of the gospel, and then it's living in light of the gospel, right? We, we can't reverse that, and Paul never does that in any of his letters, right? He never starts off with application and says, oh, oh, let me get back to the gospel, right? He always starts with the gospel, and then he moves to the application of that truth because knowing Christ and knowing what God has done for us in Christ becomes the ground, the basis, the motivation for the exhortation to live in light of that knowledge, so we could say the more we know about what God has done for us in Christ, the more we grow in our knowledge and understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the more we are moved, motivated, pressed, pushed, encouraged, whatever adjective or adverb you want to use, to live for Christ. So if we kind of keep this in the context of Romans chapter 12, Paul is saying the only proper response to the great mercies of God is to offer our whole life to him in return. So when we think about confessing our sins, which we're going to do here in just a moment, we do so because of the great mercies of God. We come before him and we bow and we confess that we are still struggling with and fighting against and laboring against sin in our life because God has showered upon us in Christ Jesus his great mercies. We act out of that. We move out of that. We respond out of that. And so as we confess and as we rejoice in the great mercies of God, we confess so that as Paul says here in Romans 12, 2, we might not be conformed to the image of this world, but we might be continually transformed by the renewing of our minds to the glory of the God who has mercifully called us to himself in Christ Jesus. So I encourage you and I exhort you this morning, brothers and sisters, if you are able, would you please kneel with me as we confess our sins? Once again, it
1: is a joy to be with you. Greetings from your sister church in Carbondale, Illinois, Cornerstone Reformed Church. Uh, And uh, it is, again, uh, just a pleasure to be with you. The passage today uh, for preaching is really kind of a launching pad and to A theme in Proverbs, and it's going to connect, I believe, the the gospel reading as as well as um, uh, what we read, all the the passages we read earlier in Philippians and in Luke. So please give attention to the reading of God's word once again. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. This is the word of the Lord. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Jesus, our rock and our near kinsmen. Amen. Jezebel, Adolf Hitler, Paul, Mao Zedong, Augustine, Fidel Castro, Martin Luther, Joseph Stalin, John Calvin, Names are not mere letters and symbols that tag an individual. Each name that I read provokes a reaction because of the way that they lived their lives and the legacies that they established. It is difficult to say Hitler, Mao, or Stalin without revulsion over the atrocities they committed. But when we hear names such as Augustine, Luther, and Calvin, we hear them with affection because of their legacies. Throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon presents to his son the beauties and benefits of wisdom over folly so that he will choose the way of wisdom. The greatest advantage of wisdom over folly is that of life over death. The wise walk and are rewarded with life. The fool dies. Now, life is not mere continued existence. The fool will continue to exist. We are all immortal in that sense. Life is living in the fullness of what God created you to be, in relationships of peace and productivity with God and with others, and non-human creation around you. In short, it is living as the image and likeness of God. Now, life is not an undefined mystery for Solomon. There are specific characteristics that fill out what it means to live as the image of God. One of those aspects that makes life life is that of having A good name. Now, this may not be one of the first things we think about when we think about the life that God promises, but it is a prominent theme in Scripture. Proverbs picks up on a thread of God's promises in a tapestry of Scripture and shows us how the way of wisdom is the way to realize the promise of God for a great name. Though the seeds of the promise of a great name are planted in the opening pages of Scripture, their fruit is seen plainly in God's promise to Abram when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, what does it mean to have a great name? And why would God promise this to Abraham or to Abram at that time? What does walking in the way of wisdom have to do with having a great name? Well, to answer these questions, we have to begin by asking what's in a name? Names are more than convenient tags that distinguish one thing from another. Dist- distinction is certainly one of the functions, but they are not mere labels attached to people and things like price tags at a grocery store. Names exist because God is the name. We hear many times throughout Scripture phrases such as the name of Yahweh or the name of the Lord or what God will do for his own name's sake. In Leviticus 24, when dealing with issues of blasphemy, Yahweh is referred to simply as the name. When someone blasphemes, the name he shall be put to death. God doesn't merely have a name like a tag. God is the name. Even though there are some distinctions, speaking of God as the name is quite similar to speaking of God as the word. The world and everything in it are named because their creator is named. Every As every aspect of uh, reflects a particular aspect of his glory, each of those particulars in creation have a name. You and I have names, more general names as well as specific names because we are images of the name himself. Names, therefore, are not impersonal labels. Someone's name refers to his total person, his family history, his purpose in life, his characteristics or attributes, and other things. We see this as God himself reveals his name. One common call to worship is from Psalm 124, and it speaks of the name. Our help is in the name of Yahweh, or the name of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The name of Yahweh is not a magical incantation that we whisper or shout magically, and and we can magically find help. Our help is in Yahweh himself, the one who is the name. When God promises that he will put his name in Jerusalem and in the temple in 1 Kings, he is promising his personal presence, not merely carving his name onto the wall or something like that. Emphasizing the name in this regard is the revelation of his person. The name defines and reveals who a person is in relationship to the world around him. Each person in the Trinity has a name that defines his relationship with other members as well as with the creation. The father is named father because he is in re- eternal relationship with the son and the son is named son because he eternally stands in relationship to the father as the son. Those aren't insignificant names. Father and son define relationships. They are known or revealed to one another and the creation by their names. They relate to one another and they relate to the creation by their names. So God is the name and we are created in his image. If life is living in the fullness of God, what God created you to be, your name defines what your life is supposed to be. God reveals this in the process of creation. As God moves through the six days of creation, he creates, separates, and put things in relationship with one another by name. God separated the light from the darkness, the light he named day, and the darkness he named night. Evening and morning became the first day. God separates waters and puts in a firmament that he names Heaven. He brings land from the waters and he calls it earth. He creates sun, moon, and stars to be rulers in the firmament heaven and on and on it goes. As each thing is created and given a name, with the name comes its relationship to everything else in the world, defining its purpose, its calling, its vocation within the created order. This is what you are supposed to do. This is defined by your name. Now, there's something a little deeper that is going on with the names in creation. On the first day, God created from nothing all the material he would use during the six days of creation. It had a name, heaven and earth. Heaven created at that, at that time was God's throne room, and it did not change. But the earth, we learn from Genesis 1:2, was without form, and it was void. And it becomes the focus in the second verse of the Bible. Everything was earth in the beginning but as god started separating and reuniting the earth reuniting everything the earth started taking on new names as creation matured moving from glory to glory new names were given maturity and greater glory brings with it new names as a part of god's creation and indeed the highest of his creation we are given a name in the beginning and gain new names as we mature and redefine, broaden our purpose in the world and set up new relationships. And this is seen throughout Scripture. God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. As Abram progressed in his walk with God and was moving into new situations and relationships, his name was changed to Abraham. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. The Hebrews became the sons of Israel. Israel, when they returned from captivity, later on hundreds of years later, they are called Jews, Jews being a shortened form of Judah, and thus Israel being defined by the kingly tribe of Judah. The Jews in Christ, who is the Jew of Jews, the Jews in Christ become Christians, as people of God move through each stage of maturity they retain their old name but it is transformed and added to with a new name. These types of changes aren't foreign to our common life experiences. We may think, "Wow, that's, you know, that's some heady theology, but this is practical. This is everyday stuff." You're born a boy and you grow up to be a man and we emphasize that. You're not a boy anymore, you're a man. A man becomes a husband, a husband becomes a father, a father becomes a grandfather. At every stage in which another stage of glory is reached, you take on a new name. Each of us is given a fundamental name from the beginning of our existence, male or female. These are the names God gave from the beginning. Those names define who you are all the way down to the smallest cell in your body. They're not superficial tags that can be pulled off or exchanged. They are who you are. They are your names. They're your God-given names. And whatever your name is, whether male or female, that is your fundamental, your basic calling, defining how you will relate to God, others, and the non-human creation around you. Men cannot relate to the world as women, and women cannot relate to the world as men. And neither can relate, uh, men can't relate to God as women and women can't relate to God as men. It just can't be done. In other words, your name is how you are particularly called to reflect the image of God. Names are therefore associated with your dominion vocation. The specific mission God has given you to help build and arrange the creation under the lordship of Jesus Your mission becomes more clearly defined as you mature, growing up into your name and receiving more names. See, as you grow, you take on various titles or names that more specifically define your mission, your relationship with others, and your mission in the world. Electrician, husband, plumber, mechanic, wife, doctor, lawyer, mother, elder, deacon, and others. They're all names that start to focus your dominion Activity. Your name defines how you relate to the world in the mission of God and how God what God has given you in His mission. God grants us names by His grace, which means He grants it in His way and in His time. One fundamental response of faith is to submit to what God names us. And as we grow, we respond in faith by waiting for God to grant us new names. As mentioned, he grants you a certain name at birth that is to be recognized by your parents, the society around you, and embraced by you, that is male or female. Now, if the board of trustees of the American Medical Association has its way, we will rebel against the most fundamental name by not putting the sex of the child on the birth certificates. That's not a small thing. That is a fundamental rebellion against God. It is the fundamental lack of faith It is waving, thumbing our nose at the name that God gave us. This is your name by grace. This is God's gift to you, and it's God's gift to the world through you. New names, redefining your responsibilities and privileges, should be granted by God at the appropriate times through his appointed means and not grasped for illegitimately. What Adam did in the beginning from one perspective is grasp, for a name that God was not ready to give him. He wanted a position. He wanted a new name before God was ready to give it to him. We see this again at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. One reason that they were building this temple tower that would connect heaven and earth was so that they could make a name for themselves. It says in Genesis 11:4, 4. In rebellion against God, they grasped for a name that God did not want them to have. They wanted to define their relationship with God, others, and the non-human creation on their own terms. They would determine their own name. They would make their names great in their own terms. They would not wait for God to grant them the name. They would take dominion and rule the world with the name that they created for themselves. Now, contrary to this, and looking back at the promise given to Abram that I quoted earlier... God promised to make his name great. God would grant Abram a great name at the proper time. God would redefine Abram's responsibilities, granting him him rule in the earth and an everlasting name when it was time. The Abrahamic promise was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He grew in wisdom, we hear in Luke 2.52. As he is obedient to the Father unto death, even the death of the cross, the Father highly exalts him, giving him the name that is above every other name. He gave him the responsibility of all authority in heaven and on earth. That is his name. He is Lord of all. The Father makes Jesus' name great, granting him rule, the great name promised to Abraham. Again, grasping for a name as opposed to being granted a name is not some super spiritual experience that is uncommon to our normal experience. A man who seizes the name electrician without the proper training and being certified by masters in the field is grasping for a name. We call, him, we call that fraud. <laughs> a person who assumes the responsibilities of a parent without being married first has grasped for a name at the wrong time. A rogue preacher who assumes the title pastor without authorization is grasping for a name. To be granted a name is a common experience. The general pattern is this. You're faithful in small things. You grow up into the responsibility through many trials and tribulations, sufferings and accomplishments and failures. You grow up into the responsibility and then you're granted new responsibilities by someone who has authority To name you. Now, throwing off proper authority, thinking that you don't need no stinking authority to tell you if you can do this or that, that's grasping for a name. That's rebellion. God grants names from the beginning and then throughout your life. That name, like everything else in your life, is a stewardship. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. You must be faithful in building your name. Your name is your responsibility. You are to live up to the name or the names God gives you. This requires a focused, diligent effort that learns and walks in the way of wisdom. You build your name. Through ordering your life according to God's wisdom, founded on the fear of Yahweh and walking according to his commandments. Think about this in terms of building a business. What, it, what really are you building? Primarily, you're building your brand, your name, your reputation. Without that, you have nothing. As a business, you must deliver goods or services you promise in a way that satisfies the needs of a customer. And as you do this, you're building a relationship of trust. They trust you that you will do what you promise, and then you trust them that they will pay. Every time you deliver on your promises, your customer trusts you more. What's more is that your reputation for delivering on your promises will begin to spread because others who have needs of your goods and services will be asking if you can meet their needs as well and you develop more relationships, your responsibility grows and grows. As you continue to be faithful in delivering these, delivering on your promises, you will have the opportunity to increase your business. But the opposite is true if you don't deliver on your promises, if you fail to meet deadlines or cheat your customers in order to make a quick buck. Not only will those you serve not trust you in the future, you will develop a bad reputation so that no one, will trust you in the future. Bad reputations in business generally lead to going out of business. This business illustration works because it is a smaller part of a larger truth concerning how God structures and maintains relationships in the world. His eternal relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit is one in which there is faithfulness and therefore there is absolute trust. God's name is faithful. He can be trusted. This faithfulness in relationships, delivering on promises, results in fruitfulness. God is concerned about his name, that he gives no reason that he cannot be trusted, that he would live up to all of his promises. This is why throughout the Psalms, for instance, there are appeals in prayer that God would vindicate his own name by delivering on his promises. Psalm 115.1 says, Not unto us, O Yahweh, not unto us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 79.9 says, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Ezekiel thirty six verse twenty three says, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord Yahweh, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God is concerned about his name. And because we are made in his image, we are or should be concerned about our name. Joan Jett may not care about her bad reputation, but you should. If you get that joke, you're probably as old as I am. Okay? Okay. Solomon is concerned that his son has a good name, that he would so live before God with others in relationship with the non-human creation that he would fulfill the calling of his name and be given new names, that his name would be commensurate with wisdom. The way you build a good name is through wisdom, ordering your life according to the fear of Yahweh. This building of your name begins when you are young. Proverbs 20, verse 11 says, Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. Children develop a reputation from their earliest days. Parents of very young children, you have some control over this. Are you rearing your children in such a way that they have a good name even now, that they are a joy for adults to be around and not terrors to be avoided? There's some people who would love to have, hospi- who would love to have people over, They'd love to have your family over maybe, but if your children are going to wreck their homes all the time, you've developed a bad name. It's not a good thing. It's not free-range children are a great thing. Are, even a child is known by his deeds. You have a responsibility to help him build a good name, so that his name, so that they are a delight to be around. Do your children relate to others in a way that reflects a well-ordered home and personal life? Are you shaping your child's reputation and either helping or hurting in building his name? Teenagers, you are building your reputation. You're building your name. The world tells you that you don't have to start all that adulting stuff, if ever, until you have had your fun through high school and college with little or no responsibility. Then you can go out there and do all that adulting. The truth is, you're building your name even now. I remember telling my sons, I've got four sons, all pretty much grown up now, youngest is 20. I remember telling my sons when they got their first jobs, we, we probably violated the child labor laws, but when they got their first jobs, I would tell them, you are making a name for yourself right now that will either help you or hurt you in the future. If you're a good employee, you work hard, you're on time, you demonstrate other qualities that show a good work ethic you you will make a good name for yourselves employers will want to hold on to you but if you don't your name will follow you from that job and it will be difficult to overcome the jobs you take at 12 13 or 14 contribute to your reputation they contribute to your name you build a good name by doing what you have been hired to do with humility and diligence Owning your responsibilities when you fail and when you do well. You know what kind of name you are building, not merely by self-evaluation, but by your reputation. That is, by what other people think about you. I used this Luke passage dealing with Jesus earlier, speaking about our Lord from his earliest days, growing in wisdom. But I want, to, I want you to see with what Luke couples this growth in wisdom And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man favor. Now, what is that? Jesus built a name. He built a reputation. People knew him and respected him. His dealings with others earned a reputation, not just with men around him, but with his father. This wasn't Jesus' own evaluation about his own life. If you're, if you're saying, I don't care what other people think about me, well, that some, in some context, that may be fine. But if you're saying it because everybody thinks you have a bad reputation and you just don't want to listen to anybody, that's a problem. Self-evaluation <laughs> can be very skewed. Jesus, this, this, this wasn't Jesus' own evaluation of his own life. This was the evaluation of others. Proverbs twenty-seven, twenty-one says, the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and a man is tested by his praise. Now that proverb can be taken a couple of different ways. You are tested by what you find praiseworthy. You know who you are by what you desire and what you find beautiful. But it can also mean that you are tested by who praises you. What <laughs> sorts of characters praise you And why? What are you known for? What is your name in this area? This is so important that one qualification for a pastor is to have a good reputation among outsiders. Reputation, your name is important. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone will like you. A good reputation means that the right people will hate you (laughs) as well as others liking you. Okay? Who praises you determines whether or not you have a really good name before God. So your name is not what you think about yourself, but the reputation you have with others. The reputation that you have with others is defined by how you live before them. Now in the words of that great theologian, Rachel Dawes in Batman Begins, it is not who you are underneath, but what you do that defines you. But why is a good name important? Why should I care? This brings us to the necessity of a good name. You need to cultivate and build a good name because this is a fundamental calling for you being in the image of God. If life is living in the fullness of God's image and living in the fullness of God's image is fulfilling your defined mission given to you in your name, reflecting God's own character, then you must have a good name to know the life that God has promised. This is true of all men, but it is especially true of those of us who have been renewed in the image and likeness of God as Paul speaks about in Ephesians 4. We have been baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We bear the name of God, and we are not to take that name that he grants us in baptism and empty it of its meaning by living lives that are inconsistent with or in rebellion against his will and his ways. Your name is your calling. This is how God defines you and the standard by which you will be judged before him in the end. So build a good name. Building a good name is necessary also because a good name is vital to your dominion vocation. Proverbs 22:29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. A man who's skillful in his work has developed a good name, a good reputation. His work will be influential and in demand. Each of us is called to relate to God, others, and the world around us in a way that brings order to a disordered world. In order to do that, along the way, you must develop skills, the ability to bring order to disorder. (laughs) Children, start with your rooms, okay? Like Jordan Peterson said, start with making your bed. And there's wisdom in that. That's where you start. Order your life. Learn to order there and then begin to work out. I'm not endorsing everything Jordan Peterson said. But uh, anyway, he is right in that regard. Start there. You are to bring order where there is disorder in your own heart and then in the space around you. One of the fundamentals of relating well and building relationships of peace and productivity is trust. And trust comes through consistently doing skillful work in the right way with people so that they know who you are and what to expect. Cutting corners, shoddy craftsmanship, or simply doing less than the best you can do with what you've got is giving you a bad name. Wisdom involves ordering relationships so that they reflect God's own image. But if no one can trust you, If you don't have a good name, then you're not going to be able to fulfill the task that God has given you. You can't work with or for others if you don't do what it takes to develop a good name. And if you can't work with or for others, then you can't fulfill the work that you've you've been called to do. This is one of the reasons we hear in Proverbs 22:1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and favor a good reputation is better than silver or gold. Solomon is not disparaging wealth here, but he does place a good reputation above the value of wealth. You can obtain wealth without a good name. Think about the men who have taken shortcuts to gaining wealth without regard for their name. Jeffrey Epstein, who, by the way, didn't kill himself. Hunter Biden, George Soros, many others. Sure, they amassed a great amount of wealth But what have they built that's going to last? As I will show you shortly, their names will rot, which means everything associated with their names will rot. A good name will last and will gain you wealth that will not pass away. A good name is crucial for your future. Building a good name demonstrates the insight, the forward thinking that Solomon wants his son to develop as he opens up Proverbs in chapter one. The one who builds a good name is concerned about the future, and he should be. Proverbs ten seven says, The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. There's a parallel here between memory or memorial and the name. Your name continues to live long after you die. Again, Solomon is not just thinking about having your name attached to a building or even a headstone. In fact, eventually in this life, the dead are forgotten. Solomon says so in Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes 9, 5. There are some for sure whose names live on like this. We have records of names in scripture that we recite often and will continue to rec- they will continue to be recited for millennia to come. But my name and your names will probably not be remembered like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So who's doing the remembering? God remembers our names. Our names stand as memorials to him so that he remembers them and acts toward us according to his promises given to us. He remembers what we did for the work of the kingdom and our name will last. Indeed, God promises in Revelation that those who overcome, he will give a new name written in a white stone. He will not blot out our names from the book of life. The wicked, however, will not share this same fate. Their name will rot. Their names will be blotted out. Speaking about the future again, Solomon says, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. This blessing is multidimensional. His name is carried on in them. Children benefit, parents, from your integrity. This involves them learning the ways of wisdom so that they can walk in the way that they ought, fulfilling their part in the kingdom mission. But it also involves the legacy that children have when a father has a good reputation. You can consider the opposite as well. Children benefit from someone knowing that their father or mother was a person integrity he had a good name and they tend to trust them that gives them credit they tend to trust them when they come from a good family I know that now as my children are searching for spouses one of the things you look at is a family where they come from good names go a long long way you building a good name redounds to the benefit of your future children in ways you may never realize. So what is your name? When people call your name, what comes to their minds? God has given you a name in creation and in recreation. Your responsibility is to cultivate that name into a good name, whether it's man, woman, husband, father, wife, mother, child, Christian, all those names are responsibilities, they're callings that you are to steward and you are to develop. And as you do, you will find that life that you will find that life that wisdom promises. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us. We thank you for the name that you have given to us. we thank you that our names are in union with the name of Christ Jesus and in him, We have great names. Help us to be good stewards of that great name, to honor you in all that we do, building what you've called us to build, stewarding this creation and bringing it to maturity, ordering our lives and the things that you've put into our hands so that your name might be glorified. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: This morning as I send you out or as we, we are sent out, Uh, I do so with these words that were read this morning, and in light of the sermon, let us hear them again. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. Go this week in the strength of the name of Jesus Christ.